and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 146. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Amy Young. Hello. And I'm really glad that you're here today because we're going to be discussing a nuance on which I think you'd have a lot of great insights. And so in particular, to explain to the audience, I've been thinking a lot recently about the distinction between the hurtful and the critical. And what I mean by that is that I often perceive in my observations of interactions or even in my own with other people that a negative comment is immediately perceived to come from a place of intended malice or intention to cause emotional or psychological harm on whatever scale, rather than perhaps an intention to show someone a form of tough love or a firm opinion that may not necessarily align with our own. And I think that's important because the world, in my view, needs criticism. We are not perfect people, and although it may not be pleasant to hear, I think we need to learn when sometimes we've made mistakes, and oftentimes mistakes that we don't perceive, but other people may. And so I think it's important to distinguish between the two, and also discuss with you if you perceive a similar trend, that perhaps people are making very well-intentioned criticisms, but because of our cultural expectations of one another, we don't perceive them to be critical, and instead presume the worst of other people, and in many ways form defense mechanisms to respond. And I know that was a rather lengthy introduction, but my first question to you would be, when I first described the idea to you, and perhaps after hearing that, what are some of your thoughts, especially as they may relate to some of your artistic endeavors? Well, I think there's so much to unpack with criticism, because it is a system by which we try to make our communities better with civil dialogue, or that we try to improve, in my case, performance or writing or any kind of artwork. There's something to be said about the confidence that we feel in ourselves in whatever we're being critiqued about. So, for instance, just because I've been acting since elementary school, just for a really long time, and you know, the nature of critique in that realm is fascinating because you have to be incredibly confident in your ability to inhabit a character and mostly you have to be confident in your ability to tell the story and also completely rational about that ability and rational about how you can improve yourself. So you really have to be critical of yourself at all times, but also confident in yourself at all times. And it seems like something that it shouldn't exist. <laughs> like It seems pretty impossible. But speaking more broadly, it's always been really easy to presume the worst about ourselves, especially when it's something that we want to be doing really, really well, and we can't see ourselves getting there. I mean, it goes back to that Ira Glass famous and wonderful quote about taste, and that's what gets us in the game, that we can see our taste being bad, and we see people critiquing our taste. It's the times when we don't see our taste being bad and someone disagreeing with it that we no longer think we can do that thing. And that is where a lot of defensiveness comes from. That's where a lot of unhealthy thoughts come from. And that's where a lot of the unproductive and, as you said, hateful non-criticism can come from. Criticism should essentially be a dialogue. You should be ready to defend your taste while also being completely rational about your opinion and how it can change. There's a lovely plasticity of what critique is supposed to do for you about the dialogue and the culture that it is supposed to create. You know, you are stronger because of critique. You are not stronger because of hateful observations. And it has gotten harder and harder to differentiate the two, especially with the plethora of media in my realm with the plethora of 
performances and movies and YouTube stars and to some extent, Instagram to Snapchats to a lot of curated content that you can't control, but you see yourself not matching and not getting the same results, but perhaps to your mind doing a similar thing. Critique also in part requires a defined community, essentially. For instance, if you're at school and you are studying vocal performance, you are taking the advice of vocal performers at your level at your institution. Where we run into a lot of trouble is the plethora of media that's out there today. And we can see a variety of performances getting a variety of different positive and negative reactions. And all of a sudden, our in group of people that we can healthily accept criticism from, all of a sudden, the entire world becomes a critic. And not with the best of intentions, not with a similar background, not with a similar understanding or context for where we are in our development. That is what I think has led to a lot of unhealthy, I hesitate to call it criticism, because it's more judgment. And while the topic or the distinction for me conjures a lot of interpersonal imagery where I might criticize you or someone else might level hurtful things towards me or someone else in the world, I do think there is also an intrapersonal relationship between the critical and the hurtful. And I've known a lot of people in my life to be very self-hurtful, I would say, in their thoughts about how they behave, about what they could improve. And in my discussions with them, they take a tone of self-criticism and say, well, Kip, I'm trying to improve this or that. But I do wonder if, to an extent, we've internalized a culture that is trending away from the critical and towards the hurtful, which is something that's very difficult, I think, to distinguish and why I'm glad we're having this conversation. I myself notice habits I have that on the surface may appear self-critical, and that allows me to somewhat easily convince myself that they are in some way healthy, when in reality they are self-destructive, and I'm not admitting that to myself, and I'd really love to know what you think about those rather acrobatic psychological actions. Oh, I 100% agree with that. I know just as a younger kid, I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, I think how public everything in our lives has become and how public a lot of people have wanted to become has led to a world of extremes. So for instance, I was lucky enough to go to a private school in seventh grade going forward, and it was a wonderful privilege. But at the same time, all of a sudden, the people that I was surrounded by were people that couldn't recognize how privileged they were and how conceited they were. And that turned into my biggest fear. And I made the conscious decision to tell myself that I was worthless every day because I thought that that would keep me humble instead of acknowledging that we are all works in progress. And that led to so many problems for me down the road. And that has led to so many problems for everyone down the road. We don't have to think that. We don't have to live in a world of extremes. And I fear that that's what a lot of the self-criticality and this judgment that we put on other people and then by extent on ourselves, it's led to a world where we think extreme things when it doesn't have to be that way. And when it seems like the extreme modes of thinking and the extreme ways of being are the only ones that are accepted. And that's not healthy. I look forward to you playing devil's advocate, though. Well, in that example, although I do often try to bring in the other side, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think extreme ways of thinking have emerged, and I think they actually deter us from healthy conversation. And it's because we're so afraid of criticism. And again, all of this in my mental perception of things, 
We've become so afraid of criticism because when we've received it, we presume it to be from such a place of negativity that we don't want to share that with anyone else because why would we add to that negativity? And so we don't offer our thoughts when they may be critical rather than hurtful. And so those we love, those we care about, those we would like to help or see improve, don't receive criticism from those they trust, i.e. ourselves, and might hear similar comments from people they barely know, perhaps on the internet. That's some of the difficulty of the highly connected age in which we live, that you might share something that friends and family might see, but also strangers. And there's no law requiring common decency, and a stranger, especially someone who might be having a terrible day or might be in an emotional state that does not permit them to be loving, understanding, empathetic, that person might say terrible things to you. And that's absolutely hurtful and not critical. But I think, again, they might in their heads say, well, I'm being critical. I'm helping this person. I'm showing them how terrible they are at this thing that they should be better at, or maybe I'd like to see them improve. But it's also hard to know people's intentions. And arguably, there's no way to indicate whether someone is or is not being hurtful or critical. But with the point on friends and family versus those we don't know, I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts on the following. I think often the people we know best are most thoroughly equipped to give us proper criticism because they've seen us grow, they know some of our history, some of our wants and needs, our abilities, and because they know what makes us tick, so to speak, I feel that at least in comparison to strangers, they are more able to articulate criticism in a respectful, clear, and hopefully loving way, whereas I think strangers are not as well equipped to give us proper criticism because they don't know necessarily how to communicate to us. And yet I've seen those roles, in a sense, flipped, where friends and family are not allowed to give criticism because we don't want to hear negativity in any format from the people we know, and for good reason, because we're going to see them every day. And yet for some reason, again, thinking about examples often on the internet, we take the negative comments, perhaps it can be classified as criticism, of strangers so seriously. And I've been devastated by truly tragic examples of strangers who have said not critical but very hurtful things that have taken people's lives, that have caused devastating damage to people who were vulnerable and trusting enough to put themselves out there on the web, often in an artistic way. And I think there's a very curious relationship between creativity and criticism, because at least in my experience, my creative abilities have grown when I've been criticized, which is not to say that it's gotten easier to accept criticism, but We'll come back to that. Do you see a similar dichotomy in terms of who can or cannot make criticism in our lives? You're certainly right that strangers can be incredibly hurtful. I think it's sad and it's true that everyone has a right to criticize whatever they want in whatever way they want. And that it is now socially our responsibilities, the creator's responsibility to either accept that criticism or to deflect it. And there are a variety of reasons why someone would feel unable to deflect any kind of criticism and therefore immediately accept it as a personal failing or even something more hurtful than that. But going back to your point about family and ones close to you being the ones best equipped to critique something about you, something you've created or whether it's something you're doing, just to throw a wrench in things. I'm not sure if that's true, only because changes in behavior happen sometimes suddenly, more often than not, slowly and over a long period of time. And people that have known you for a long time will be more reticent to intercede on your behalf. Whereas perhaps the silver lining of some 
interactions with acquaintances or weak ties, essentially. People that you work with and you see when you're working, your part-time job or those buddies that you have in class or those buddies that you only see on the weekends. They'll notice a change in your behavior more often than not. And perhaps they'll comment, perhaps they won't. Or, which has happened to me when my temper has been short, you know, someone will be like, you were really rude to that person. So a little background about this instance that I'm talking about. I really wanted this person to have a wonderful time. They were visiting me and I decided to take them to one of my favorite places in the world, the Cleveland Museum of Art. Everyone should go. And beforehand, I took said person to my favorite coffee shop in town. And then we were going to go see some art and I was going to give them a tour and I was going to talk about the art and I was just jazzed about this whole thing. I had this perfected image in my head of what was going to happen. And that's sort of me. Like, I am incredibly anxious unless I know what I'm doing every hour of the day and also next week, like right on through. I just want new friends to have such a wonderful time with whatever I've planned so ardently that sometimes I don't realize the way that I'm acting. So essentially, we walked into the museum. I was told that we weren't allowed to bring our beverages inside. I responded, perhaps too harshly, asking, why not? The atrium's right there. And they were like, I'm really sorry, ma'am. And then I walked off in a little bit of a huff. And then this person called me out and they were like, that was really uncalled for. Honest to God, I didn't even realize how my behavior was being perceived. And perhaps the people that we spend most of our time with, those are our strong ties. And those are also the people that reflect our behavior. And I think changing our behavior, sort of changing our knowledge of our own privileges and of our own biases and really expanding our social groups is important. I mean, it's important to be around people that will call you out respectfully, but it's also important to be around people who are going to call you out. And I will have everyone know I did, in fact, a week later, go back to the museum for the express purpose of apologizing to this man. And he had no idea who I was. I, for one, appreciate the fact that after being called out for something, you took the high road and embraced what the person said to you and went back a week later. I don't think most people would do that. And one element of that interaction that resonates with me is that a friend said this to you. And I think oftentimes we interact with people of various relationships in terms of authority. For example, a teacher might call a student out for certain behavior. And in my experience or my perception, I've often felt that authority figures who are offering negative commentary on my behavior or my creations or my actions in general are more likely to seem critical in their commentary of me than they are hurtful. And I'd be very curious to know what your experience is there, particularly because in my mind, in such a competitive culture, people who are on the same playing field as us don't have any reason to offer us criticism which might help us grow. And perhaps in my pessimistic view of the rat race that is our lives, we're more likely to be met with insensitivity or cruelty from people who want the same things we do and are seeking the same achievements and accolades. Well, I think there's a lot of context that's necessary for something like that. If it's someone my age whose work I respect, who I have a history of respect with and for, then I'm much more likely to accept that criticism and try and involve it in what I'm doing. A great example of this is I go to great writers to help me edit my writing samples for whatever I'm applying for. But if it's someone that's my age and I realize and have observed that they have a different way, a more caustic way of interacting with people, to me that showcases that they have a different set of moral beliefs about interactions with people. And therefore, I'm not very likely to take into account things that they might have to say about my performance. I'm not sure I would even trust if they wanted to get to know me better. 
perhaps because I think they think I'm just a utility for them. And at the risk of sounding hypocritical, I also think that equating the morals of someone with their political opinion, with their mode of criticism, a very complex picture that tends to be diluted, I think was one of the major problems of the 2016 presidential campaign. And I mean, it was pretty clear from the get-go that social networks of conservatives and liberal-leaning people were not interacting with one another. And that's because they equated their morals and opinions and critiques with their personhood and almost at times their right to be human. And I think that goes both ways. No side was innocent of this. But at the same time, how do you judge what's right? How do you create a society that's better? How do you decide what to critique and how to accept it? It's a really complicated question and one that I am constantly at war with. It's one that I've been trying to parse out. This is why I wanted to talk about it today. But it's also one that's highly contentious because everything has gotten very one or the other. And I'm really glad that you bring up the political arena or the national arena because I've often felt as someone who is very critical of the United States that I've been met with or people who behave similarly have been met with unfair remarks that I hate America because I'm critical of some of its systems. And I don't feel that way. Honestly, I am critical of America because I think many of its ideals are noble and that they should be executed properly and that we as Americans and insofar as the world is very globally connected, we as human beings deserve the best of this nation and the best of any nation. And I think that being critical of a country is not equated with being hateful of that country in the way that for me interpersonally, I perceive that distinction is blurred. And I'm really glad that you bring up the two predominant sides in American politics, linking back to what you said earlier about dialogue. I think the best criticism opens up a dialogue, and perhaps it isn't one directional, and I might be able to offer criticism of you hypothetically, and vice versa, because neither of us are perfect people, and there has to be a relationship of trust, I would say, in criticism that is not present in hurtful comments. And I would say, looking at our political landscape, is definitely not present in American politics. I don't think the liberal and conservative sides trust one another. And I think that's incredibly problematic. And perhaps I'm blowing something out of proportion, but insofar as there's a lack of communication, I think that's a negative sign in a relationship, and especially in political relationships, which dictate a great deal of how we live our lives in any given country. And another point that I would love your thoughts on, and perhaps we skirted past it in the beginning, is that for me, criticism becomes hatred or the hurtful in the mind of the recipient of that criticism or that comment, I should say, when those comments are directed to a point of sensitivity. For example, if I critiqued your writing or acting abilities, skills that I know you've tried to hone and continue to try and develop as you go forward, that's going to resonate with you in a certain way, I suspect, whereas if I criticized your fishing abilities, I don't know that you would be as concerned, because at least in my perception, it's not a skill that you care as much about. And I think there's a tragic irony there, because the skills we often care most about are perhaps where, were it respectfully and articulately given, criticism could benefit us the most. Well, I think there's one very important distinction. There is a big difference between skills and beliefs. With skills, for instance, you mentioned my acting, and thank you for thinking I do a good job. 
I certainly try. And you're right. I have been honing that skill. I've worked very hard. A lot of people work very, very hard for little reward and not just in acting or in creative skills in general, in crafts, in welding, in woodwork. Skills have an innate either physicality or an innate structure to them that can be critiqued. But at the same time, you're not critiquing the person, you're critiquing the product. And I think most people who are working in fields that require a particular skill or are concerned with honing a particular skill will realize the necessity of critical space. So let's say I'm a photographer and I decide to frame a picture horizontally instead of vertically. And I know this is a really simplistic sort of situation, but that was a choice about the product or skill that I'm honing. And if someone said, hey, you should hang it the other way, I can either defend that choice and start a dialogue with that critic, or I can be like, huh, that's a really good idea. But it's still sort of about the product and the skill, even if it's a hurtful comment. And you can even get really down about it. I know I've gotten really, really down about my ability to write plays, and I wish I could write better plays. But at the same time, that's not a comment on me as a person, on whether I deserve kindness or not. That's about my ability and my skills that I'm trying to hone, whereas a belief is intrinsic. And critique of a belief is a much more delicate situation because those are morals and those are who we are as a person. That's how we think society should be. And I think we've lost that delicacy, or at least the way the country has portrayed itself makes it seem like that is lost. But I don't think it is. And we can't think that it is if we want to get better. So we've been talking a lot about unsolicited criticism and how unkind it can be, how we don't really have a defense against it. What are your opinions on our right and, in ways, our obligation to find particular critics? I'm actually delighted that you ask that because I think that's one of the best ways to train one's receptive muscles, so to speak, because I think one of the most damaging impacts of criticism or comments that are intentionally hurtful is that if they come out of the blue, the shock alone adds to some of the pain and the confusion we might feel. But in fact, something I have tried in the past and not as much recently, admittedly, is seeking out criticism and saying to a friend or family member, maybe even a stranger, if it's a small piece of content that won't take a long time to consume and judge, I'd ask openly for that opinion and say, please be honest and prepare myself for what might be the worst. But to me, there's something to be said for asking for it. And I think even the knowledge that we initiated that interaction gives us even the semblance of control. And I think that makes it much less painful when we receive those comments. When we can request it, there is that presumption that I want your feedback because I would like to grow, so please be honest with me. Whereas we can't guarantee the intentions of others when they initiate those interactions. And of course, you can never guarantee the intentions of other people, but I do think there is a degree of trust, perhaps, that I place in other people when I request something of them. A part of me also hopes if the person did not want to be honest, they would say so and say, well, I'm not comfortable giving criticism because I might be too honest for you. But I, in turn, would really love to know what you think about that prompt. Well, I think this goes back to the dichotomy of skills versus beliefs. I am honestly willing to accept any criticism about my skill from anywhere, unless it's my singing. I am very self-conscious about that, and I'm not ready to present it. And in that case, that should be respected by any critic. But 
for a skill that I'm ready to present and that I'm ready to work on, I am honestly willing to hear anything you have to say about anything about any performance I've ever given. And I know that's a lot of extremes. But if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really don't like the way that you played that part. I thought it was really disrespectful. I would press them and I would ask, why? What would you have done differently? Sort of what choice exactly? Where did this go wrong? Let's parse it out together. I would never want something to be offensive to you. Or it doesn't even have to be that extreme. I could see a play with a friend and I might love this play. I might think it's the coolest thing. And my friend could say, "Eh, I wasn't really about it. Just that dialogue about creative energy, I think is really important and is a very important part of honing any skill. I'm more interested about walking the line of finding someone with different beliefs. Because you're right, there's an integral part of criticism that is trust. And I'm thinking of discussing a difference in beliefs with someone who's on the complete opposite side of the political spectrum. That's something that I can safely say I have never done. And that is something that I need to do. And it is my fault and also my responsibility to have a discussion with someone with polar opposite beliefs. At the same time, maybe this is a question for you. Where do we draw the line when it's no longer a discussion or a debate about beliefs, but whether we're each human? And how do we get beyond that? Well, honestly, that's a topic I've struggled a great deal with. And as I'm sure listeners of this show might recognize, I really do enjoy talking with people and hearing what they believe. And of course, I've been lucky enough to have guests such as yourself or co-hosts who have always been respectful of my opinion, and I hope I've also come across as respectful of theirs. And I think that often does come from either a point or several points of shared philosophy, be it political or social, etc., that allows people to communicate effectively because they're coming from a similar place that allows them to then discuss an idea. And I don't know many people who are my political opposites, and I would definitely value their input and their insight, but I absolutely see what you're saying, that I think it comes down to a place of judgment, where they don't want to speak with you because they may not be able to or would not like to admit your humanity, that you, just as they are, are an individual and you don't share their perspectives. And for most of us, I think there is a subconscious process that tells us People who don't act like us, believe what we do, etc., are not necessarily as human as we are. And I don't think people necessarily phrase it that way, but in some of the human treatment I have seen, that is the idea that I believe people internalize. And so it is very tricky, and I don't know that I have an answer, but one of the first parallels that came to my mind is actually the topic of sexual consent. And taking a hypothetical example of a heterosexual pairing of people, man and a woman, both of whom have different bodies but hope to have the shared experience of a sexual encounter, I think the key there is to set clear boundaries and expectations and to communicate clearly, knowing full well that the experience will be shared, but that the personal perspectives as male and female, at least biologically speaking, will not be identical. And I think politically, although it's absolutely not a perfect parallel, something similar might be ideal, in which political opposites acknowledge I may never fully understand your experience, and I may not even come to agree with you, but I will listen to what you have to say, which is a statement or a mantra I would encourage many people to try adopting, because I don't think empathy is always the easiest. But I think listening is definitely a great first step and is valuable. But before we close this episode, I'd really love to know what you'd like the audience to think about after listening to this discussion. I think one of the main takeaways is that criticism is very personal. 
it's my belief that you can accept criticism or not accept criticism as you see fit and as you see healthy for yourself. I think to some extent, no matter what kind it is, there's always something to gain, whether it's strength in the face of adversity or strength in ourselves, knowing that we have an opinion, a belief, a taste that we think can change. I think there's a lot of power in humility. And I think we have a responsibility to each other to explore that. And I would add, and I know that we haven't really delved into this so much, but it's a personal belief of mine that tempered investigation is essential in every form of criticism. If someone is saying that they don't agree with the choice that you made, with a skill that you have, or with something that you've created, then it is to your benefit to investigate. And it also helps preserve that space where it's not a personal attack. And at the end of the day, you can either accept that choice or reject that choice. But going even further, if there is a piece of criticism that you've received that is meant to hurt you, it is to our benefit to have a discussion with that person. And if someone is going to be cruel, let them be cruel. And if someone is going to lose their temper, let them be the one that loses their temper. But we've lost a lot of humanity in the world. And I know, and I've worked enough as a peer counselor and in understanding mental health issues, that every action comes from a series of thoughts and a series of beliefs, and that those beliefs can be changed. If someone is hurtful to you, it's not about you. It's not personal. There's something else going on there. To put it simply, criticism gives us a chance to learn more about each other and more about our backgrounds. And I wouldn't give that up for the world. And choosing to ignore a critic and to sort of go to similar extremes, that's a loss. I agree. I think it's important to question the sources of criticism and the people who criticize us. I would also challenge listeners, as I'd mentioned earlier, to think about their relationship with self-criticism and being honest to determine whether or not we are being hurtful to ourselves with the guise of self-criticism for the aim of self-improvement, because there is a clear distinction there in my mind. And I think it's one that, as I've experienced personally, can be very detrimental if not caught or prevented. And Amy, back to your question of requesting criticism, I would encourage listeners who feel comfortable to do so, and I know that it can take time and you may not always be in the state to do so, but I do think it can take some of the barb out of criticism that often makes it so painful and may push it into the realm of the hurtful. But I ultimately concur with what you said, that criticism allows us to understand one another and can be applied in a respectful way. And I think those are the environments and conversations we should seek and should promote in our interactions with other people, whether they are strangers or those who are closest to us. And Amy in particular, I'd like to thank you for being not only willing to come on and discuss this, but to be vulnerable and honest about what I think for all of us is going to be a very personal topic. It was my pleasure. And I'm happy to hear it. But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any thoughts, feelings, or perhaps examples in your own life that you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear from you. So please reach out. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it or get something out of it. 
And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.